This is the Frankly Daniel Show, and yes, I'm the Daniel in the Frankly part of this enterprise. It's my weekly exercise of our First Amendment rights. Thank you for joining me, and it is an honor to be here today with you. Today's show is entitled, White People Need Not Apply. (laughs) Yes, the title of today's show is, White People Need Not Apply. Actually, only black females need apply. But I thought... I'd use my white rage and couple it with my white privilege to spice up the title. Doesn't this title sound racist to you? It is racist, and these exact words may have just as well come out of the mouth of good old brain-addled Joe Biden. I committed that if I'm elected president, have an opportunity to appoint someone to the courts, will be I'll appoint the first black woman to the courts. It's required that they have representation now. It's long overdue. Boy, oh boy, do I have a lot to say about that. Okay, well, let's have a conversation, shall we? Today I'm going to converse about something you probably have already guessed, reverse discrimination. But what we're going to talk about really is just between you and me. Nevertheless, my darling wife says it's always good to have a set of goals when I have these conversations. Now, we're coming up on our 40th wedding anniversary and She's been coping with and managing my adult attention deficit disorder for longer than than even that. Actually, since we got off Noah's Ark together and ended up as practicing clinicians at the Johns Hopkins Hospital in Baltimore. Why the Ark stopped in Baltimore, I'll never understand, except to note that the Lord truly works in mysterious ways. It would be it would be nice though if we could just occasionally get a heads up. In any event, my attention deficit disorder, coupled with my genetic predisposition towards procrastination, uh, those are heavy crosses to bear for those loved ones around me. So today I'm going to conform and share goals with you. Let's see if I can if I can set some simple ones, some straightforward goals. Let's see. Let's go with three goals. I probably couldn't remember more than three anyway. Moreover, I, I can't promise I'll cover these goals in any given order. You know, that's the, that's the problem with attention deficit. But I promise uh, they'll all come together in the end. Here they are. Now, if you're driving while listening, don't try to write these down. They're really not that complicated. The first goal is to inform you. Now, that's a straightforward one, isn't it? A good goal for a conservative commentator is to inform his listeners. And by the way, thank you, thank you, thank you for your listenership these past weeks. The past two weeks in particular, the Frankly Daniel Show has growing leaps and bounds, and I couldn't be happier or more thankful. Apart from sending out a tweet on Twitter or posting an upcoming show link on Facebook, I don't spend any time or any money actually on advertising. Not because I don't really have any money to advertise. So it's your word of mouth that brings uh, new ears to this show, and I'm eternally thankful. But it's also because the America Out Loud radio network is growing at such a chart-climbing rate that the network's technical folks, they, they can't add new servers fast enough. 
And what a find America Out Loud is. I'm thankful to America Out Loud for the humble weekend show that I do have and for being among scores of incredible conservative radio personalities, most notably Malcolm, Mr. America Out Loud himself. I hope you're all fans of this radio network. Conservatives need every platform possible to retake America back from so-called progressive Democrats, who, in all reality, are quasi-socialist at best, or are, at worst, a brand new form of Marxist. We'll call them the American Marxist. So like all my colleagues at America Out Loud, my first goal is to inform. Now, my second goal is to reflect on the information and draw attention uh, as to why it's important to be informed on that particular topic. Today, I'm going to speak to the unethical, immoral, and would-be illegal act of reverse discrimination. Now, my third goal today and every day is to energize you to get involved with the forthcoming elections November 8, 2022. Yeah, I know. I know November is like forever off. Uh, it is so far off we can't even think of it now. Well, all the work of getting elected starts now. It actually starts right now. It doesn't start November or October. Of course, and yes, our Republican candidates need our vote this November. But importantly, they, they need our in-person support and our financial support now. Nobody wants to talk about money, but I think we have to. You're probably getting requests from any number of local, state, and federal candidates. They, they all ask for money. But many local campaigns need in-person help with flyers and phone calls and the like. And there are scores of ways to help make a really important difference. For me, all politics are local, so elections always start at home. When it comes to helping a candidate and voting, I've, I've always operated as if my first responsibility is to my family and to my neighbors. What will this candidate do to support and help my family thrive? And not just survive, but thrive. With inflation eating our budgets alive, and, and I have yet to go to the store and find anything just just increased by 7%. My nerves. I mean, uh, the sticker shock is worse every time I walk into a Publix. Even going to Costco is, uh, <clears throat> it, it, I nearly have an epileptic fit, and I'm not, not an epileptic. Uh, I, I know how precious 10 bucks, 20 bucks, and especially 25 bucks are when it comes to thinking about a campaign donation. But I, I do make them, we do make them in very selected cases, and I encourage you to do the same. Sooner or later, whatever happens in Washington will hit us in our congressional district. We, we, can't, we can't ignore that. Next, this year, we're going to be contributing also to the Republican governor's race. Ron DeSantis is Florida's incredible governor, and he's up for re-election this November. The National Democrats are targeting this race because... I believe Ron DeSantis, they believe this too, Ron DeSantis will eventually be our president of the United States. They plan on unseating him in Florida now and trying to derail that before that, that even gets out, out of the barn. Uh, to that end, Democrats are already pouring millions of advertising dollars into this race here in Florida. Joe Biden and Democrat National Committee, they'd like nothing better than to defeat DeSantis. Next is, is there a Senate race in your state? 
We cannot afford to lose one Senate seat this time around. Truth be told, yeah, truth be told, we need to win Senate seats, preferably three or four. Now, remember, remember, we, ha- we have to nullify the Democrat votes cast by our three rhino senators, Susan Collins, Mitt Romney, and Lisa Murkowski. Now, Murkowski is up for re-election this November, and hopefully Alaskans will come through and toss this charlatan out of office, hopefully on, on an iceberg that just floats out out there somewhere in the, uh, maybe could float all the way to Russia. Um, if I could only convey just how critical, how monumental this upcoming election is, <laughs> I mean, at times, uh, how can I convey this? At times I feel like a lone Ukrainian trying to convince my neighbors, my fellow conservatives, that, that the Russians are coming. They're, they're really coming this time. And if we don't start this very minute, this very minute getting ready to repulse them and then chase them all the way back to hell from where they came, we'll be crushed and lose our freedom and liberty forever. Okay, well, neither uh, you nor I are lone Ukrainians. But if we don't start getting smart about progressive Democrats' goals and the evil of their identity politics, if we don't start paying closer attention to who and what today's progressive Democrat Party is really about and wants to do to America, if we don't start investing right now, today, if not sooner, in our Republican leadership, our House and Senate representatives, our governors, our judges, our school board members who oversee our children's educational and emotional well-being, and we don't start investing in all local Republican candidates, well, what if we do nothing and just let somebody else be responsible? Let somebody else decide. I can tell you, if we fail ourselves, if we fail to hear the clarion bell of freedom and liberty, if we fail to hear this ring, and we don't rush to defend our hard-won American values, we'll become reduced to a few inked pages in the very few remaining faithful history books that the Democrats have yet to find and burn. We will be the ones crushed. We will find ourselves in an eternal, totalitarian, authoritarian, fascist hell from which not even our children's children will be able to find an escape. And if you think this is right-wing hysteria on my part, I beg you to read history. This story is neither apocryphal or infrequent. I implore you to look not only at the rhetoric of Joe Biden's speechwriters, but look at the Democrat legislative agenda. Look at the Biden judicial nominees that Democrat senators are confirming and pushing through every minute while I'm talking today. These are lifetime appointments, by the way. And I'll touch on that a little bit later. There's more than 40 of these that have already been confirmed. Go to YouTube and watch Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana question these woke, arrogant, radical nominees that the Democrats are putting on federal appellate and appeals courts. By the way, these judgeships, as I said before, are lifetime appointments. Watch Ted Cruz or Josh Hawley question these nominees. I dare you to stay seated throughout one five-minute question session. So if you don't think things are so bad 
and you expect they're really going to just get better on their own, get a paper, get a pad of paper out, and, and and let's form two lists. Under one list, write down all the things government is improving in your life, and the security it's providing to your family's future. On the other column, list all the things the Biden government's doing that's directly hurting you, or unhelpful, or that you're worried about as it concerns yourself and your family. Now, let me help you with uh, getting started on this second list. Uh, Let's start with, I'll put this down, inflation and the cost of everything. How about a soaring college cost? How about rogue school boards, racial divisiveness, being told you're a systemic racist, COVID mandates, climate change impacts on your energy costs, Uh, supply chain problems, domestic terrorism, how about illicit drugs and drug addiction, and drug-related crimes? Now, let's talk about the soaring federal budget deficits, the quality of K-12 through education, gun confiscation and attacks on the Second Amendment, crime and violent crimes. How about defunding the police? How about criminally friendly prosecutors? Uh, no bail reforms and stuff like that. Yeah, that's massive illegal alien immigration. That somehow you don't think that those two million people coming in, those additional kids sitting in classrooms, your classrooms as your property taxes have to fund illegal alien education and all the other things that are going on, increased health care, uncompensated health care. How about a tax on voter integrity? Do you really believe we're a nation of Jim Crows? I I, I mean, I I would swear that 70% of our country hasn't got a clue what Jim Crow was really ever about, how it came about. Happy to tell you that story sometime. How about your rising health care cost and cost of insurance? Are you beginning to feel energized about doing something to stop this evil among us? Perhaps I I should ask someone else to to back up what I'm trying to tell you. Someone else who you, you probably likely know. I, like many conservatives, call him the great one. I have all his books, and I've actually, <laughs> I've actually read them all. You know, all these books that people on their shelves, you have to ask them, uh, have you read any of those things? Uh, good intentions, good intentions. He was on television the other night, and, and here's, what, here's what he had to say. I'll tell you what's going on in this country. The largest political party in this country hates America. They hate our security. They hate our Constitution. They hate our founders. They hate our framers. They hate our monuments. They hate our history. They hate our family structure. Uh, And there's so much that they hate about America that we have a vice president who's probably among the dumbest vice presidents in American history, and there have been many stupid ones, who makes comments about this country that are just so vile and so repugnant. And I would say this to Kamala Harris. You need to go over to these military cemeteries and take a look and take a look at all those crosses and those stars of David and think about all the men and all the women who died for this country that you trash that made who you are and what you are possible. Because God knows you haven't invested into this country what those people did and what those families did. The Democrat Party hates our military, hates our cops. The Democrat Party is selling us out to the communist Chinese, the fascistic Russians, the, uh, the, the fascistic Iranians, and the inbred over there in North Korea. Uh, the Democrat Party is a force for bad in this country. 
They never promote liberty. They never promote individualism. There was a piece in the New York Times the other day trashing individualism. That's what the whole country is about. We now have an individual in Canada uh, who reflects the same ideology. We actually now have a totalitarian regime on our northern border. Let's not fool ourselves. What that prime minister, whatever the hell he is, is doing to the people of Canada is a disgusting disgrace. He is the Vladimir Putin of Canada. And as soon as they have an opportunity, they need to kick his ass out of that office and make sure they don't kick it down here. It wasn't that long ago when we honored our nurses and our doctors, when we honored our police, we honored our truckers and all the men and women who aren't millionaires, who get dirt under their fingernails, who put their lives on the line to protect us through that pandemic. Before there were vaccines, before there were therapeutics, they would get sick and they would go to their jobs anyway. And they made this country and Canada and all other countries they worked in function. They put food on our tables. They put gasoline in our automobiles. They did what we needed to do to survive as a country, as a country when the Chinese unleashed this virus against us by not telling us about it ahead of time. Now, because they resist these mandates, because so many of them have natural immunity, which the Israelis have said is multiple times more effective than any of these vaccines. Now they're the enemy. Have you noticed the Democrat Party base and the left wing base is never the enemy? The trial lawyers are never the enemy. The teachers unions are never an enemy. The front groups that want open borders, they're never the enemy. Uh, the hard left in this country, they're never the enemy. No, 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 no. Today it's the truckers. Yesterday it was the parents. The day before that it was the nurses. In other words, middle America, the people who make this country work. The Democrat Party in this country needs to be crushed. And I want the American people to understand something. You have it within your power to take this country back. They will not be crushed unless you crush them. And I'm talking to people, I don't care what your race is, I don't care what you come from. The American people do not hate this country the way that AOC does. They do not hate this country the way Kamala Harris does. We love this country. You know how I know it? Or we'd all pack up and we'd go somewhere else. Our borders are overrun with people who want to escape their lousy cultures and their lousy countries to come here. We have a Democrat party that hates this country that wants to centralize power, that wants to destroy our voting system, that wants to eliminate the importance of citizenship, eliminate the importance of state sovereignty. We know exactly what we're dealing with now. They've exposed themselves. And they have this fossilized leadership in Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> well, I have to ask you, uh, do you feel energized? Uh, I certainly feel energized every time I play that clip. I may just start playing that clip for myself in the morning before I have my coffee. I may not even need coffee. Now, as a very white male, heck, my, my hair and beard have been snow white for more than 30 years. I've seen reverse discrimination. And in fact, Joe Biden's promise to make Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer's replacement a black female justice is flagrant, blatant, and in your face reverse discrimination. Of course, progressive uh, Democrats, they, they don't see this tinkering with social justice quite the same way as you or I may see it. Uh, many of you may well think and believe that at worst, this is a long overdue affirmative action. There's never been a black female Supreme Court justice, so this must be rectified immediately, or how could justice on the high court continue to be served? My nerves... How in tarnation have we managed to get by without a black female associate justice on the Supreme Court? 
uh, since it first convened February 1 of 1790. My nerves, that's a long time. Progressives and ignorant others believe that the absence of a black female Supreme Court justice is reason enough to appoint one, and appoint one now. Remember, this was exactly the same rationale given for selecting Kamala Harris as the first black female vice president of the United States. Okay, I'll pause for a moment while uh, you wind down your laughter. For the record, I'm all for whichever color and sex happens to be the physical characteristic of any qualified candidate or appointed leader or judge. I mean, I, I just don't give a hoot or a druther as to someone's skin color, sex, race, or ethnicity. I don't select my friends that way. I hope you don't either. When the boys, our sons, brought home girlfriends of color, we, we never did anything but support their relationships. One of our sons married a beautiful Brazilian lady who is the mother of two of our grandchildren. Skin color is a meaningless characteristic to decide nearly anything. Short of selecting people of color as actors that fit a particular script, Yes, discrimination based on color does still occur in America. But given my 72 years here, I, I see and hear it so infrequently that when it does pop up, when it pops up its ugly head, I, I'm so taken aback that I have to be careful not to let it show on my face or, and in my voice until I can discern whether the comment was intentionally racist or something more benign. Hear me now, and, and believe me later, if you would. The myth of skin color as a proxy for diversity is a ridiculous and entirely irrational myth. What diversity, based on skin color, did former President Barack Hussein Obama bring to the White House? Obama nor his parents, one black Kenyan and the other a white American, were never plantation sharecroppers. The Obamas were dirt poor. No one looked at Barack and said, you can't go to, to school here at Columbia or you can't be a Harvard Law student or the editor of the Harvard Law Review. And anyone who believes that all these opportunities were open to Obama because of his black skin is sorely mistaken. If anything, being biracial was a curse in the 1800s and the first 75 years for sure of the 1900s, but not today. Many of the physically lovely, beautiful young people are biracial. And so what? Let me take issue with another lie told by the progressives. We're constantly told that skin color is a proxy for people with critically important lived experiences. That, that's the new buzzword, by the way, lived experiences. You've heard of Everyone has their truth, their own unique truth to tell. You also have your own unique lived experiences. Yes, and lived experiences that are so different, are so unique, that only people of a certain color understand the truths experienced by these richly diverse and unusual Americans of color. That horse manure. Personally, with the exception of very few I don't believe people of color bring anything so uniquely different to a campus, an employment environment, or a government post that we need affirmative action and racial equity programs or other such vogue remedies to promote people into circumstances for which they simply 
haven't done the work and really aren't qualified. Moreover, the furtherance of affirmative action continues to diminish those of color who are fully deserving of our consideration and praise. They've taken full advantage of the immeasurable and immense abundance of opportunities open to those willing to work at their chosen craft and profession. Merit is open to all, but all do not take the road to success through merit. So they cry discrimination for their lack of advancement. Well, okay, let's, let's take a look at uh, a different end of the opinion spectrum. A woman by the name of Kim Tigner claims to be the co-founder of something called Sista Scotus. Uh, that Sista Scotus. Sista writes, You can imagine having a black woman, someone who has a diversity of lived experiences, will bring with her not just her own personal and professional diversity, she brings the lived experiences of the communities that have wrapped around her throughout her entire career and life. Sista says, we are ready to wrap around any of these women whose names are in the mix right now. My answer? The arrogance, stupidity, and racism embedded in this comment is repugnant. The nation has at least 334 million people with different and diverse personal and work-life lived experiences. How could any human being proclaim the superiority of their lived experience as the key to a greater Supreme Court set of decisions? Last time I looked, and I did look, lived experience, or its equivalent, was nowhere in any one Supreme Court justice selection criteria. Somehow we're supposed to swallow that a 45-year-old black woman was a discriminated-against plantation sharecropper yesterday, but she left the plantation, became a brilliant, highly educated in the nation's best of the Ivy League universities, and became a highly skilled attorney and then a highly placed judge, and now is being elevated by an iconoclastic president to be the first of her kind, a radical, woke activist associate justice on the Supreme Court. Her shared experiences don't sound like the shared experiences of folks I know. This myth-making is reprehensible. Well, it's about time to hear from Kamala or Kamala or Vice President Harris. It is time for us to do what we have been doing, and that time is every day. Every day it is time for us to take a break, a very short break, and then it's time to come right back because every day... It's time to come back and hear the rest of the story. And do I have a lot of important information? You'll be happy you made the time to come back and hear. So hit the head, hit the fridge, and hurry right back. You know you're loved here on the Frankly Daniel Show, and I'm not kidding. It's time to rethink COVID disinfection. A study by Harvard, Drexel, and Virginia Tech concluded... We don't have a single documented case of COVID transmission through surfaces. The reality is that COVID spreads mainly through the air. Shared air is the problem, not shared surfaces. The solution is the Genesis Fogger, which uses natural HOCL to disinfect both air and surfaces simultaneously. It's perfect for home or business. 
NIH says HOCL may well be the disinfectant of choice for coronaviruses. There's nothing more natural or more effective. Genesis fogs at the precise particle size to combat COVID and other harmful pathogens. It's what's missing from your disinfecting protocol. Visit genesisfogger.com. America Out Loud listeners receive a 15% discount with promo code OUTLOUD at genesisfogger.com outloud. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is McCullough Report. Are you tired of your tired vitamins? Consider Healthy Cell. These are pill-free vitamins that are in convenient gel packs. Uh, I like the Focus and Recall supplement. I use this a lot. You know, your brain uses a lot of energy, and it depends on a variety of micronutrients and vitamins. Boost your short-term focus and long-term brain power with Healthy Cell's Focus and Recall vitamins. So go to HealthyCell.com, use the code OUTLOUD, all capital letters, OUTLOUD, for a 20% off your first order of any Healthy Cell product. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. As Americans, we seek to form a more perfect union. To paraphrase Abraham Lincoln, we are a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And God willing, we shall not perish from the earth. AmericaOutloud.com Liberty and justice for all. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Frankly Daniel Show. Before the break, I was trying to fulfill uh, two of my three goals for today's show. In total, those goals were to inform, to reflect, and to energize voter enthusiasm for the upcoming November 2022 elections. No, it's not too far off. In fact, we need to start now. By my calculation, we need to probably win about 330 seats in the House and perhaps 105 seats in the Senate. Well, that would be a good start, don't you think? Now, so far, I've tried to make the case that sex and skin color are unimportant in a Supreme Court justice. And I would contend probably in any other human being when you get right down to it. The progressive Democrats, on the other hand, are trying to make this quid pro quo promise Joe Biden made with the devil or his representative here on earth, perhaps that's Jim Clyburn, that the only legitimate candidate for the soon-to-open seat on the court would have to be a black woman. That was the first thing that came to my mind. I'm sure it was the same thing that came to your mind, right? Can't see a black woman there, need a black woman. I haven't, I'm not aware of any Polish Americans on the court either. I'm going to probably have to, probably have to raise that concern when I run for the president by, I say quid pro quo because this is the promise Joe Biden had to publicly make at the South Carolina primary debate in October of 2020, just before the South Carolina primary vote. This was literally blackmail. I, I mean, a black male, Representative Jim Clyburn of South Carolina, told Joe that he would support and endorse him if and only if Joe would promise to nominate a black female to the first open seat on the Supreme Court. Now, Lord knows what else Jim asked for, but anyway, this is the public this is the public uh, request. Joe, who was flagging in the race and, and he was losing to Bernie Sanders sold the very small, hardly visible, thin slice of his remaining soul 
to Clyburn and his accomplice, the devil. But by making this campaign promise, a promise he made during a primary race debate in South Carolina, Joe may have won a key endorsement, a critical endorsement, perhaps the most important endorsement of Joe Biden's pathetic basement-driven primary campaign. But what a price. Democrat Representative Jim Clyburn, the House Minority Whip, is about to receive his end of the quid pro quo. Biden is going to soon announce the first black female Supreme Court Associate Justice nominee. person I will nominate will be someone with extraordinary qualifications, character, experience, and integrity. And that person will be the first black woman ever nominated to the United States Supreme Court. It's long overdue in my view. I made that commitment during the campaign for president, and I will keep that commitment. As I mentioned, Clyburn's endorsement happened right after the South Carolina primary race debate and right before the South Carolina primary vote, a race Biden won by a wide margin, propelling him to his party's nomination as the Democrat presidential candidate. Now, interestingly, the Democrat primary electorate in South Carolina at the time was 60% female and 56% black. So what if South Carolina was 60% female but 56% Muslim or 56% Jewish or maybe even 56% Hispanic American? Would we be getting a different outcome now? Or perhaps even more controversial within the Democrat Party, say 56% Asian Americans were what the population was, especially Asian-American women who appear to be the most frequent victims of black male violence of late. So let's go back to October of 2020 for a quick look-see. In October of 2020, the Democrat Party was increasingly worried to the point of being near hysterical that socialist Bernie Sanders was going to win the Democrat primary race and become the de facto Democrat Party presidential nominee. Now, the ramifications of a Bernie nomination victory were enormous. Would the Democrat Party become the Democrat Socialist Party or the Socialist Democratic Party? Which Republican wouldn't want an opportunity to run against the new Socialist Party? Truth be told, and we have all the evidence that Democrats wanted a Socialist for president, they just did not want an announced Socialist as in Bernie Sanders. Instead, they wanted a closet socialist. They wanted a Trojan horse, really. Moreover, they wanted to find a candidate who would do anything and say anything just to be president. This was Joe's third run at the presidency. He was their kind of guy. If you look back, it's impossible to glean what direction Joe had wanted to take the nation if he ever had become elected. What was Joe's vision for America The first time Joe ran? Or how about the second time he ran? Or what about the third time he ran? From from my review, all Joe wanted to do was beat Trump. And supposedly, he did so by promising to crush COVID and sprinkle the population with money so that he could extend every time for possible welfare because that's who the Democrats are. And let's not forget uh, legally migrating uh, to America illegally Oh, yep, Joe sent out a worldwide candy gram to anyone who wanted to come to America. 
All welfare expenses paid once you cross the border illegally. And watch out for those pesky border agents. They're they're trying to do their job. But campaign slogans aside, Joe's vision of his presidency was extremely basic. Joe just wanted to be president. What else would one expect from a lifelong politician who's never held a real job in his entire life? Well, I'm just counting his time as a junior lifeguard at a black community pool and rec center in an all-black neighborhood in some undisclosed area of Delaware. As Joe tells it, this is where his lifelong commitment to black civil rights got its start. It also happens to be the place where Joe, as Joe tells it, faced down Corn Pop, the neighborhood bully. Well, returning from that side trip... The Democrat Party wanted a Joe Biden type of candidate that was already cognitively compromised to run as their closet socialist. After Biden won the Democrat nomination, he agreed to support nearly every plank in the Bernie Sanders platform. But who really believed Joe Biden was a proverbial Trojan horse? That Joe was going to do and going to say whatever the radical progressives in his party a party that had actually left him years ago, told him to do. Unfortunately, Democrats, independents, and many disillusioned Republicans who voted for good old Joe, for Grandfather Joe, for someone who was supposed to be the opposite of Trump, but didn't look like the rest of the socialist Democrats running in the primaries, well, they really got pantsed in the whole deal. I mean, let's face it, most of the Democrats in the primaries were openly socialist, as judged by their answers to so many of the debate questions. They were all trying to out-socialist good old Bernie. I'm sure you remember when Pocahontas and all the other candidates said yes to giving free government, health care, and education to any illegal alien who broke the law and crossed into America. In fact, there was even a big debate as to whether they should legalize the illegality of crossing into our country. They seemed all so willing just to give up our sovereignty. Every Democrat candidate was for nullifying the Trump tax cuts and taxing businesses and rich and redistributing their wealth, of course. I mean, the irony of taxing corporations is just nuts. They, you know, public companies pay uh, dividends, they pay uh, uh, interest, they pay all kinds of things to stakeholders we're the ones who pay the taxes on, on those earnings. But all of these closet socialist wannabe presidents, of all of them, the one the Democrat leadership was really seriously worried about was really Bernie Sanders. But by the time the South Carolina primary came around, Biden and the Democrat leadership were desperate to change the course of the primary election selection process. That's when Jim Clyburn struck, perhaps the most influential black Democrat voice in Congress. He told Joe Biden what Joe needed to do to gain his support in the South Carolina primary and re-energize his candidacy. Now remember, again, the Democrat electorate eligible to vote in South Carolina, 60% female, 56% black. Biden made the pledge as a condition demanded by South Carolina Congressman Jim Clyburn, the third-ranking House Democrat, who then formally endorsed Biden, and the next morning, everything was off to the races. Joe went on to win South Carolina, and the rest is an ugly tale of vote tampering, inventive vote creation, 
and hiding what Biden would endorse as the real Democrat agenda, an agenda in which Joe had little say and even less authority, even as we're talking today. On the morning of January 21st, 2021, Biden was still talking about unity and coming together. He was calling for bipartisanship. Then in the afternoon, the Trojan horse rolled out, opened up, and out came a score of spear-carrying soldiers, each with a woke, radical executive order. And the ruse was up. Biden was a puppet administration run by what used to be called the deep state or the shadow government. Nothing Biden has done or has said since January 21st that afternoon has been anything like the Joe Biden of old or the Joe Biden anyone really expected to be president. Not one single partisan or objective observer would have predicted the hard left turn Biden made that afternoon. But then again, it wasn't Biden. It really was his puppet masters. I contend that Biden's Supreme Court black female justice nominee is the progressive's second Trojan horse. Who will take a serious issue with a black female nominee who will say nothing about her true radical intent once on the court? Who among the Republicans will risk being called a bigot, a racist, a misogynist? Yep, Joe Biden has sold what was left of his soul to the devil to be president, and we're all the worse off for it. But mark my words, this nominee is the second Trojan horse. When you think about it, the way this happened was really the only way Joe Biden was ever going to become president. Who am I to say that Bernie Sanders would have been a more honest uh, selection? God help us, had it been Elizabeth Warren. Oh, my nerves. I mean, what a group of people. Now, mind you, Democrats knew Biden was cognitively damaged and that the disease process consuming Joe's mental faculties was, was bound to get worse. But their goal was to win the presidency at any cost, and they deal with Joe and Joe's addled brain later. They, do, they would do it by committee in the White House. They would do it silently and behind the scenes. They'd prep Joe and march him out to read a heavily scripted teleprompter speech when necessary. They'd limit his public appearances and tightly control access to him and forbade random unvetted questions from the press. Those are always killers, especially when Joe takes the bait. They'd be sure Joe was offline days before a big event so he didn't collapse or make a complete fool of himself. They'd be sure the White House physician was always on hand to pump Joe full of stimulants prior to any lengthy speech. In other words, anything more than about 30 minutes. They'd build a television studio for Joe across the street from the White House so they could wheel that teleprompter within 30 inches of Joe's nose. I'd like to have a studio like that. Joe was flown to Delaware for 36 weekends since becoming president just 13 months ago. In his beach compound, they've just built a half-million-dollar, $500,000 wall around the compound for security sakes, but also for privacy. Why, why going to Delaware all the time? Well, it's easier keeping him out of sight of the White House staff. 
who could leak to the press. You know, those, that was, Trump was getting leaked all the time. And for all we know, Joe could be running around his Delaware compound like a rooster crowing as he struts up and down the hallways. Wouldn't surprise me. Maybe they'd put, uh, you know, segments of women's hair down the hall and everything else he could sniff as he was going. Unfortunately, the puppet masters, they didn't realize that with senility comes a very rigid stubbornness and often unreasonable demands. Have you ever tried to reason or argue a point with your grandfather who is truly senile? It is not a picnic. Occasionally, the puppet masters, they're reminded that Joe is the president and he can still get his way when he's stubborn enough to do so. Unfortunately, once again, this way led to awful outcomes as we left Afghanistan. And Joe's been caught in his own lie over and over, and he just refuses to give in. Now, here's an example of bullheaded Joe's stubbornness. The subject of American citizens, I have to draw your attention to that Army report, an investigative report that's come out about the lead-up to the withdrawal from Afghanistan. It, it interviewed many military officials and officers who said the administration ignored the handwriting on the wall. Uh, another described trying to get folks in the embassy ready to evacuate, encountering uh, you know, people who were in, essentially in denial of, of this situation. Does any of that ring true to you? No. No. That's not what I was told. That you were told that the U.S. administration officials were prepared, they knew it was time to get out? No, what I was told, no one told me that, look, there was no good time to get out. But if we had not gotten out, they acknowledged that we would have had to put a hell of a lot more troops back in. It wasn't just 2,000, 4,000. We would have to significantly increase the number of troops, and we were back in this, this war of attrition. And, it, and there was no way we were ever going to unite Ukraine, I mean, excuse me, Iraq, Afghanistan. No way that was going to happen. And so this is a much wiser thing to do. I just want to clarify, are you rejecting the conclusions or the, the accounts that are in this Army report? Yes, I am. So they're not, not true? I'm rejecting them. That, of course, was Lester Holt interviewing Joe Biden last week. This 2,000-page Army report has hundreds of interviews all with very close actors in the Afghanistan debacle. This report is, is frankly honest, eye-shocking. It's eye-shocking, the account of what happened and the, the details. It, it, in fact, it details the president's stubbornness and inflexible stance on, on the withdrawal process and his, his total disregard to modify his position on how best to secure the theater of battle. I have no doubt the blood of 13 servicemen and women killed those last days in theater are solely on Biden's hands. And if you've seen any of the interviews of the parents of those precious soldiers lost those last days on the ground, they all condemn Biden's aloof and arrogant posture. No one advised him. All the other crap that he had no choice on the way America left Afghanistan's. And there was more suffering in addition to the, just the 13 military service people murdered, as if that sacrifice wasn't enough. 80-plus American soldiers were severely wounded in the same bombing attack. 
And somewhere up to 240 Afghans lost their lives. Biden goes on in the clip to say that if America were to stay in Afghanistan, we would have eventually had to send up to 25,000 additional troops. And it's, it's patently false. I mean, this lie was openly debunked in testimony by Biden's military chief of staff and by a secretary of defense. Even as incompetent as they are, they knew this was wrong. And to top it off, Joe can't even remember which country he's talking about with Lester. Our problem, our overarching problem, and it's a big, massive, gigantic problem, is that Joe Biden has the power of the presidency and the brain of a stressed teenager. He's compulsive, he's emotional, appears bipolar at times as he rages across extremes. He's impulsive, sharply critical, bordering on mean-spirited. He's often extremely stubborn and partisan, all at the same time uh, toting how he single-handedly led the Senate for 36 years. In short, he's very often delusional. I, for one, I'm still waiting for the real corn pop to emerge from the shadows somewhere in Delaware. Wouldn't that be a trip? Well, what's astonishing is this is not just unprecedented, but unnecessary for the president to say that he would not consider uh, any other candidates uh, based on their race or gender. He would only consider black females. You know, diversity issues have been raised by presidents in the past, but they have been raised as sort of preferences, not exclusionary rules. Indeed, the Supreme Court has declared exclusionary rules like this one to be unconstitutional or unlawful when applied to schools or businesses. That last clip was of Jonathan Turley voicing his concerns over this fiasco. Only the president, only the office of the president, can use race and sex as two major categories of no-nos that would unquestionably be illegal for an employer, a university, a college, or any other enterprise to use as the defining characteristics of someone to qualify that individual from one of the highest, most important positions in any enterprise or the federal government. By using race and sex as criteria, Biden has eliminated 97% of other qualified candidates. They just won't be considered. Furthermore, they may have no legal right to protest this open discrimination. So, truth be told, it's not only white people who need not apply. This goes for all people not black-skinned and female. Now here's a bit of interesting information. I think it's interesting anyway. Black women are approximately 7% of the U.S. population. Now this includes biracial black women and black women of all shades of blackness. Using black and sex as criteria means that Joe Biden, our third black president, will be excluding 93% of the potential job applicants from uh, a pool of candidates, let's say. Uh, You ask, why is Joe our third black president? Well, remember, Bill Clinton was our first, and this is the title Bill still proudly wears. Of course, Barack Obama was our second black president, and and now Joe Biden is our third. Joe Biden is the one who said, if you don't vote for him, then you ain't black. It all sounds a little too black for me, but, but let's look at the pool of qualified black female candidates. Anyway, you slice it, 93% of the population is out of the competition. Add to this fact that male and female African Americans are only 
4.5% of all attorneys, less than 5%. So the proportion of candidates being excluded here is probably closer to 97%. Now, when you narrow down black female attorneys with significant state Supreme Court or federal appellate court experience, there are fewer than 0.1% of qualified black female judges that could fill this Supreme Court position. In fact, this position, because of this criteria, probably has the smallest candidate pool ever, forever and ever, of any position to be filled. I have a burning question. Is Biden solely fulfilling an irresponsible promise he made to become president? Or is this selection of a black female at this time a critical step in the right direction for the country? This affirmative action nomination may be emotionally uplifting and politically exhilarating for the African-American community, but given we have only nine seats for Supreme Court justices, is this a good inclusion-exclusion decision for America? Frankly, I don't believe the color or sex of the next justice has a darn thing to do with advancing racial equity or justice. Progressives want someone who, unlike Stephen Breyer, will advance a radical activist agenda. This new justice will be nothing like the Democrat-centrist Stephen Breyer. Nevertheless, when you think about it, Biden's racially and gender exclusionary criteria fits the tyrannical authoritarian and often fascist architecture of the progressive Democrat Party. The truth be told, seats on the high court for progressive Democrats aren't about diversity. Progressive Democrats don't give a damn about race, sex, skin color, or whether your mother was a sharecropper, prisoner, in Angola. Their only concern is whether the nominee is sufficiently woke and radically woke enough to be acceptable to progressive Democrats. Are you an anti-originalist nominee or in favor of a living, contextualized constitution? Democrats don't want their appointed and confirmed justices to interpret the Constitution as it's written and amended. They want justices creative enough to write new opinions that border on actual legislation. Here's a painful example. Democrats, pro-choice in your face type of progressive Democrats. They know that hell would have to freeze over thrice and Joe Biden would have to be elected to his fourth term as president of the United States before their majority would be large enough in both the House and the Senate before they could pass a veto-proof, unrestricted abortion bill. In other words, if the Democrats had their way of it, women would be free to an abortion any time during their pregnancy, including 24 hours postpartum. Furthermore, the government would foot all the expenses. This law, passed by both houses of Congress and signed by Joe Biden, would certainly be challenged by the few remaining conservatives in Congress in a suit before the Supreme Court. If the woke progressives had five justices on that court, these five justices could simply declare the new abortion law as constitutional. This despite there being nothing in the Constitution that would ever make it so. But 
Who's going to force the five justices, justices for life, I might add, to back down and tell the truth? These five woke justices believe that if the Founding Fathers were any of the 40 or 50 woke Democrats currently in Congress, the new Constitution they'd write would include a woman's right to do whatever she wished with and to her body. Therefore, a living Constitution would include every woke idea that's currently floating around Congress. In essence, this thinking is written all over the progressives' Build Back Better legislation. Five woke Supreme Court justices are the ticket to every dream they've ever had of destroying America and rebuilding it in their image. Oh my gosh, the clock has snuck up on me and stolen all my time. Until next week, thank you so much for being here. God bless all.